We're going to basically conclude that journey today, but one of the things that we've seen about Joseph is that Joseph was able to remain faithful to God in all circumstances. And we looked, go ahead, Jamie, and we looked at the very beginning and we looked at how that, you know, he had a, a very dysfunctional family, uh, even right up to the very end, and yet he remained faithful to God. We see that when he was sold into slavery, into Egypt, uh, he was alone and isolated, away from his family, away from anybody else who believed in his God, and yet he still remained faithful. He endured all kinds of injustices, including the fact that he was wrongfully accused and imprisoned, and then he was forgotten in prison by the cupbearer, and yet he remained faithful to God. And he had all these ups and downs. Wherever he went, he prospered. Whether it was in Potiphar's house, whether it was in the prison, or whether it was in the service of uh, Pharaoh, he prospered, but he also had some downtimes. And yet in and all of that, he continued to remain faithful to God. And then last week, we started looking at this journey to forgiveness. And we saw some of the things that were happening uh, as Joseph brothers have to come and meet him and and he kind of sends them through some tests maybe uh, and then eventually reveals himself to them and the last point we made last week was that forgiveness is possible and we might kind of want to ask ourselves how is forgiveness possible we'll get there in a minute because first we want to do this so after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he uh, tells his brothers, he says, go home, get daddy, get all your possessions and everything, bring them back and settle here in Egypt. And in fact, it wasn't just Joseph's idea. When Pharaoh heard that Joseph's family had come to Egypt, Pharaoh says to Joseph, bring them here. We'll give them the good land in Goshen. You know, they're, they're shepherds and whatever, and, and we'll let them have it. And so Joseph tells his family, go home, tells the brothers, go home, get daddy, get everybody, and come back. And so they do. And Joseph saves the family. And when you include Joseph and his family, about 70 of them are there in the land of Egypt. And this is the beginning of, remember that God, when we started with Abraham, remember we started with Abraham, and God made three promises to Abraham. Number one, your descendants will inherit the land. Number two, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And number three, all the nations will be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but this looks like a step backwards to one of those promises, Right? Your descendants are going to inherit and your descendants are going to occupy and own for themselves the land of Canaan. And now they've all been transported out of Canaan into Egypt. But we see the beginning of the second promise to take place. God said that your descendants will grow greater than the stars in the sky. And we already know, you know, we've gone from Abraham and uh, Sarah and Isaac, and now we're already to 70 plus. So we're beginning to, to work through that one. And of course, we know that the third one will come much later. Eventually, Jacob is on his deathbed. 
And he calls the brothers to him, calls his sons to him. And he says, when I die, I don't want to be buried here. When I die, I want you to take me back to Canaan. And I want you to bury me where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and oddly enough, Leah are buried. I, I, I had to research that a little bit because I didn't remember some of it. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 right? We know that Rachel was the favorite, right? Why would he want to be buried over there where Leah was? And why wasn't Rachel buried where Leah was? Well, it turns out you remember Leah, Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, and they were not near where Abraham and the rest of the family had been buried. And so she was buried in Bethlehem. And so not where Jacob wanted to be buried. And so eventually Jacob does die. And the brothers carry him back to Canaan. And you know, right? Every time you read something, you get a little something different. So this was a little different. You may, you know, you're smart people. You knew this all, the, all along. But I didn't know this. Uh, it, we're in chapter 50 and verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father. Well, I knew that. Joseph and the brothers, they went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him. The dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt. I guess I had known that. Maybe I'd known that. But I, if I did, I'd forgotten it. That Pharaoh sent an entourage of Egyptian dignitaries to go up with them when they buried Jacob. So now Jacob, the patriarch of the family, is dead. And the brothers return home to Egypt. And Joseph's brothers begin to get troubled. They begin to worry. So in chapter 50, beginning in verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Will they never learn? Will they never learn? Here the brothers are again trying to be deceitful. We have no record that Jacob ever told his brothers to tell Joseph to forgive him. Why? Well, I got an idea. Don't know if it's true or not. But I think the idea is Jacob knew that Joseph had already forgiven him. Jacob knew there would have been no reason for him to tell the brothers to tell Joseph. And besides that, how ridiculous is that? You think about it. If I'm Jacob and I'm about to die and I want to make sure that Joseph forgives his brothers, am I going to do that through the brothers? 
No. I'm going to tell Joseph himself. Now, son, I know everything your brothers did to you, but you need to forgive them. So the brothers really don't learn. And I think it's very important that last little part of what we just read. When the message came to Joseph, he wept. Why do you think he wept? I think he wept because he was hurt that the brothers did not believe that he had forgiven them. I believe that he was hurt because he thought, because they thought that maybe now he was going to take some kind of retribution against them. Or maybe he was even hurt because he knew they were lying. He knew that daddy had not given them that message. But continuing on in verse 18 it says, His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Through all the cruelty that they had displayed towards Joseph, through all the hardships Joseph had endured because of them, through all the years separated from his father and from his family, he forgives and reassures them. This journey to forgiveness was one that Joseph had to take himself, but it was also a journey that the brothers had to take as well. Joseph, I believe, had learned along the way. We mentioned this a little bit last week. He had, as far as we know, he had no retribution for Potiphar and his wife. When Joseph ascended to second in command of Egypt, he could have done whatever he wanted to to Potiphar and his wife. The wife for falsely accusing him, Potiphar for throwing him in jail. We have no record of that. We see no retribution for the cupbearer who had forgotten him for two years. Another two years in jail, in prison, because the cupbearer forgot to tell Pharaoh about the interpretation of the dreams. Nowhere do we see that Joseph took any kind of retribution on the cupbearer. But now we see that Joseph was willing to forgive his brothers for the most heinous, I like that word, heinous of acts against him. And so, this morning I wanted us to see some lessons that we can learn on forgiveness. And the first one is, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is not easy. Joseph, it could not have been easy for Joseph to forgive his brothers. We always, we use that term, this phrase, forgive and forget. Right? I don't like that phrase. And the reason I don't like that phrase is I believe it's impossible. It's inhuman 
Not inhumane, but inhuman. Chuck's here, so we're going to go the same route. You've heard it before. Chuck punches me in the nose. Can I forgive Chuck? Yes. Should I forgive Chuck? Yes. Am I going to forget that Chuck punched me in the nose? Nope. Every time Chuck comes near me and goes like this, I'm jumping the other way. Eventually, over time, is it going to be less that I remember that? Is it going to be less that it, it hurt, not physically, but emotionally? Yeah. But I'm not ever going to forget just, whoop, oh, I forgive you, Chuck. Wiped it from my mind. I'll never think about the fact that you punched me in the nose again. No. And there were times where I'm sure even after Joseph had forgiven his brothers that he remembered that pit. That he remembered being sold to some travelers. He remembered the journey to Egypt. He remembered being a slave. He remembered being thrown in prison. He remembered all of those things. And that would have made it a little difficult to forgive. It's hard for us to forgive sometimes because of the hurt and the pain. I remember, and I won't get this exactly right, but I remember Norman always talking about that he'd talk to somebody and, and, and talk about forgiveness and they might say something along the lines of, but they did this to me. And Norman would say, yeah, that's why you have to forgive them. If nobody ever hurt you, if nobody ever did anything wrong to you, if nobody ever wronged you, then you wouldn't need to forgive. The very idea of forgiveness inherently means that somebody hurt you. Somebody wronged you. It's hard because of the hurt and the pain. It's hard because of the betrayal. It's hard because of the trust that is broken. And it's hard... And you've heard me say this, and this is my personal opinion. It's hard because of the closeness of the one who has wronged us. Do you think it was easier for Joseph to forgive Potiphar and the cupbearer than it was to forgive his brothers? I do. I think it was way harder to forgive the brothers. Why? Because of the relationship that they had, the closeness they had, the depth of the betrayal that the brothers had, had put on Joseph. But just because it is wrong doesn't mean that it's not possible, not wrong, hard. Just because it is hard does not mean that it's not possible. And by the way, brief thing. Some of you were here, those of you that were here last Sunday morning, I do know that Joseph and Benjamin were not brother and sister. I know that. Apparently I said that in the sermon, and it was one of those things, you know, if, if you ever get up here, you say something and you can tell by the response of the audience. Something was wrong about what I just said. 
And I try to go over it in my mind. I can do more than one thing at a time. I may still be preaching, but I'm going over what I... And I never came up with that. I could not figure out what you people were poking each other about. But thankfully, I have so many brothers and sisters (laughs) who want to encourage me and correct me and keep me on the straight and narrow. So, yes, I do know that Joseph and Benjamin were not brother and sister. Now I'm totally lost. Okay, forgiveness is hard. Secondly, though, forgiveness is freeing. It is freeing for the forgiver. Notice that all the turmoil and all the guilt and all the the anticipation and, and, and fear that was building up in the brothers, there was none of that in Joseph. None of that. He had forgiven them, I believe, long before Jacob died. I believe he had forgiven them long before he ever saw them again. Before he was ever even able to forgive them in person, he had already forgiven them in his mind and in his heart. And that had to be freeing for him. Never is anger or bitterness or resentment mentioned. Never does he remind them of what they did to him. They remind him. They keep saying all the things we did to you. He doesn't bring all that up. They do. His mind was at ease. Forgiveness is as much about our own peace of mind as it is for the one we forgive. Anger Bitterness, resentment can eat away at us. And it can rob us of the joys that life still has ahead. It can rob us of accomplishing God's goals and purpose in our life. If we just let all that bitterness and, and, and anger and resentment just, just build up inside us, then we will never be able to move beyond that and to do the things that God wants us to do. If Joseph had just let all that build up inside him, he would have never become the person that God wanted him to be. He would have never been able to be a part of God's plan to bring his family to Egypt and save them from the famine that was in Canaan. But it is also freeing for the one who is forgiven. The brothers didn't accept it at first. He had told them, right? Essentially, I forgive you. Go get, come down here, you all live. But now, they're not too sure about it. They think the only reason he hadn't taken his revenge is because daddy was still alive. And now that daddy's not here, he's going to bring it all down on us. He told them, but they didn't believe it. You know, it reminds me of what happened with Jacob. You remember the story of Jacob, and now we didn't really cover Jacob, but you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. That Jacob and his mother basically steal Esau's birthright. And then Esau also gives him the, the birthright, and, you know, anyway, but all of that. And they deceive Isaac, and, and, and when Esau finds out about it, he's going to kill Jacob. 
And so Rachel helps Jacob flee and says, go back to, you know, my family and, and, and live there. And so Jacob does and spends, you remember, you know, worked seven years and then ended up with Leah. So worked another seven years and got Rachel and, and spent some time with his uncle Laban and, and all of that. And then eventually he's coming home. And as he's coming home, apparently he probably has scouts out. And one of the scouts come back and said, Esau is making his way towards you. Esau and his entourage, Esau and his army are making their way towards you. And Jacob gets scared. And Jacob, as only Jacob could do, he makes a line of defense between the oncoming Esau army and himself. So he puts all the servants and the slaves at the front. And then he puts the two maidservants and their kids next. Then he puts Leah and her kids next. And then right in front of him, he puts Rachel and Joseph and Benjamin, I guess. And then himself. Anyway. And when Esau shows up, much to the surprise of Jacob, Esau basically gives him a hug and says, I forgive you. All is forgotten. I forgive you. Come live with me. And Jacob says, thank you, but I really don't trust you. I'm not taking my family and going back and living with you because I'm not sure that you're not going to try to get revenge. You go your way and I'm going to go my way. The same thing is happening all these years later with Jacob's sons. Even though Joseph had already forgiven them, they're ridden with fear and guilt. Joseph's reassurance of forgiveness must have made them feel as if a burden had been taken off from them. Oh, he really means it. He really has forgiven us. The third lesson we can learn is forgiveness is godlike. When we forgive, we are displaying the very nature of God. I want to try to make a little correlation, and it, it may be stretching it a little bit, but preachers are allowed to do that. Joseph was able to forgive because of the blessings he'd received from God. What you meant as bad, God turned out for good. And I forgive you. The same is true for us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together. There may be many motives for forgiving others. There may be the motive of just freeing my own soul. I just can't keep this bitterness and resentment anymore. So I'm going to forgive you whether you ask for it or not, whether you want it or not, or whether you're going to appreciate it or not. I got to do it for myself. I'm going to forgive you. 
Our motive may be to make peace and keep the family or the relationship together. But at the very base, the very foundation, our ultimate motive for forgiving is because God has forgiven us. Paul said in Romans chapter 5, you remember that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies to Christ, He died for us. He didn't wait for us to come begging. He didn't wait for us to make the first move. He did it all on His own. We forgive one another. We forgive those who have hurt us because God forgave us when we were still hurting Him. And He still forgives us when we hurt Him. How can we not forgive considering what God has done for us? And that leads to the next point, which is forgiveness is essential. In Matthew chapter 18, you remember the story of the unmerciful servant. And the story starts off like this. Jesus didn't just tell this parable out of the blue. He's talking about how that, you know, if a brother sins against you, you need to do this or that. And so Peter picks up on that. And Peter says to Jesus, How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times and you've heard me before I think Peter was expecting a pat on the back I really did I really thought think when Peter said that he was thinking to himself nobody would ever say forgive somebody seven times if I say should I forgive my brother seven times Jesus will say whoo Peter how great of you how forgiving of you that you would forgive your brother seven times and Jesus says oh no 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 Peter Not seven times, 77 times. Or in another translation, 70 times seven. And by my math, that's 490 times. And we can quibble. We can go back to the Greek and we can go back to the original text and we can argue about, well, is it 77 or is this 490? Is it 77 or 490? And if we do that, we have totally missed the point of what Jesus was trying to say. Not 7, not 77, not 490. You don't put a limit on it, Jesus is saying. And then he tells the parable of the king who was settling up accounts and the man came and he owed him, you know, a bazillion dollars and there's no way he was ever going to pay and the king was going to throw his children and everybody into prison and, or have them sold off to pay the debt and the man falls down at the master's feet, at the king's feet and says, oh, please don't, you know, I'll pay it back. And so the master forgives him the entire debt. The servant goes out and immediately finds a fellow servant who owed him a couple bucks. And he says, I want my couple bucks. 
And the other servant uses the exact same word, says the exact same thing that the first servant has said to the king and says, oh, please have mercy on me. Be patient. I'll pay it back. And he says, I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to have mercy on you. And he has his family thrown into prison until the debt is paid off. And I want to... And so we remember what happens that other servants saw that and told the king what had happened. And so the king as the first servant brought back to him. And in verse 32, it says the master called this. This is verse, chapter 18, Matthew, verse 32. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother. And here's another one of those things I just saw today. From your heart. This is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive those who sin against you from your heart. This parable brings up a perplexing theological question for me. And I'll just share it with you so you can be as perplexed as I am. Now we say we cannot forgive and forget, right? But God says... When he forgives, he wipes them out as far as the east is from the west. And I know you can't make a correlation with everything in a parable. But the perplexing theological question I have is can we be unforgiven? Now, if I asked you that question apart from having just read that parable, you would say, well, no, we can't be unforgiven because when God forgives, He forgets. And as far as the east is from the west. But this parable kind of makes it clear, does it not? That if we refuse to forgive our brothers and sisters, if we refuse to forgive those who hurt us and sin against us, God will lay all those sins He's forgiven right back at our feet. Ooh, that's scary. That is scary. But there's more. Over in Matthew chapter 6, you remember, Jesus is giving in the Sermon on the Mount the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, all this. And forgive us our trespasses, King James, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Thine be the glory and honor and power forever. Amen. Okay. So Jesus gives the model prayer. But he goes back to explain some of it. Well, not really. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be it. The kingdom come, thy will be done. Could you explain that a little more, Jesus? Nope, not going to explain that. Give us this day our daily bread. What do you mean really by give us this day our daily bread? Nope, not going to explain that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. In the, explain that a little bit. Nope, not going not to explain that. The only part of the prayer 
that Jesus went back and explained was, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And he said, because if you do not forgive others when they sin or trespassed against you, God will not forgive you. God will not forgive you. It's not optional forgiveness. It's not like bonus Christianity. You know, I kind of got all of this, but, but you know, I can't do the forgiving thing because that's, that's kind of like extra, extra credit if we forgive. No, 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 no. God made it very clear. If we don't forgive others, He will not forgive us. So we have to be willing. No matter how hard it is. No matter what others have done against us, we have to be willing to forgive because look at what all God has forgiven of us. When we forgive, it's the greatest perhaps characteristic of God-likeness. The ability to forgive others when they hurt us. It's, the motiva- it's motivated by what God has done for us. When we truly, truly understand what it took for God to forgive us, that it took the sacrifice of His Son, willingly sending Him here to die a horrible death. When I realized that God did that for me, to forgive me for all that I've done, to rescue me from an eternity of torment, how can I not forgive Chuck for punching me in the nose? How how can I not? And if I don't, then that forgiveness that God offers is going to be rescinded. We must be able to forgive others. Joseph was a remarkable person. And I think the one characteristic that stands out the most to me, because I know my human nature, is the ability to forgive. Even when horrible things were done to him, he forgave. And thank God that he forgives us the horrible things that we've done to him. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.